It is so cool to see you all. And why don't you just turn to the person next to you and just let them know that until they sat down next to you, you were the best looking person in the auditorium here. <laughs> okay, you're not going to do that. <laughs> hey, well, if we haven't met before yet, my name is Simon, and I have the privilege of leading Kerith, uh, which is a church we're based in Bracknell, Sandhurst, Windsor, and the Isle of Wight. We've got four different sites. And uh, it's great for me to come and see the kids. See, literally one of my kids, Jacob, who's disappeared. I don't know where he's gone. He's hiding at the back. And he actually is my son. And uh, Jacob, very proud of you and all that you are. But uh, spiritually, a whole bunch of youngsters and, um, who grew up in Kerith. And uh, Sam Phillips, who's here. I remember growing up through the youth group. I probably knew you when you were in nappies, Sam. And... Uh, <laughs> It's hard to imagine now. And uh, really proud of you guys and what you're doing. Just want to say a big welcome to the, all the Hive guys um, who were here before and just honour you for the journey that you're on and uh, particularly Keith and uh, you know, the, the church that you've led and uh, just fantastic what God is doing there. And for everyone who's come since um, Flow started and has no idea what Kerith or Hive Church were, then it's brilliant to have you with us. I was very excited, by the way, to see in the giving station at the back. If you go to the giving station, and there's this little electronic thing where you can give. And if you go to the drop-down box, you can't just give to Flo, you can give to Kerith as well. <laughs> I just thought that is such a generosity of spirit. So if you all want to go there and sign up for regular giving in Kerith, that would be a really, really brilliant response from today. But uh, no, it's a real privilege to be here. And I bring greetings from Kerith and everyone there. And we're so excited by what God is doing here. And I'm so excited to see how God is moving and working. And so excited really for what the future is going to hold. And what God is going to sow through what he's doing here. So Liam asked me whether I'd come and talk about God being God our Father. And I know you've been in a series where you've looked at God being the Holy Spirit. And God being um, Jesus. And we understand God. God is... Um, what we call a triune God. He's one God, but three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I was going to talk today about God being our Father. And it's clear that, that Jesus wanted us to relate to God as a Father. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, like, teach us how to pray. The prayer that he taught them, how did it begin? Our Father. Father our Father. And although that New Testament's mostly in Greek, and the word Greek in Greek there is pater. I think that's right. Is that right, Jacob? Yeah, yeah. And he does Greek, so he's into all that stuff. Although that's the Greek word, actually, Jesus spoke Aramaic. And we know from the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus cries out this guttural prayer, he, he prays to Abba, which is the Aramaic word for Father, which is not a Swedish supergroup, but is um, this Arabic word for Father. And in fact, if you go to many Middle Eastern cultures today, you know, places like Syria and Lebanon and countries like that, although they speak Arabic, the first word most kids learn is Abba. Actually, that's the first word that they, that they, they learn as kids is this word Abba. In terms of Abba, that's father. That's the, that's the first thing. And I know in our family there was a competition to see whether the kids were going to say mum or dad first. But in those cultures, they teach the kids, say Abba, Abba, Abba. And God wanted us to be, relate to him. Jesus wanted to relate to God as Father. But it's really key in that that we understand what sort of Father God is. 
because it's so easy for us to, to you know, we, we've all got experiences of what it's like to have a father. And for some of us, those will be good experiences. And we'll go, hey, that sounds like a great idea that God's like a father. And none of us had fathers who were perfect, but my father was like the positive side of, like, okay. For other of us, we'd have had negative experiences of having a father. And those can color us when we hear that word father. You know, maybe for some of us, our father was absent. Maybe some of you here this morning, you've grown up and you've never known your father. That was my dad's experience. My dad um, was born in 1939, and he remembers at the end of the Second World War, a man who came home to the house for a day and then disappeared. And he only worked out years later that that man was his father, coming home to say, I'm not coming home. I'm leaving. I'm never going to be here. That massively shaped my dad's view of father. For me, I think out of that experience, my dad was quite a distant dad. You know, he provided for me materially and in terms of stuff, but he never hugged me. He never told me that he loved me. He was a dad like that. Maybe some of you had one of those cuddly dads. You know, a bit of a Father Christmas dad. You you nodding, Liam? You just... (laughs) Steve, you are now a cuddly dad. And maybe you had one of those sorts of dads, you know, who was like, you know, just a bit of a pushover, you know, you just went and he would always just give you the stuff that you needed and the stuff that you wanted and, you know, his bank was always open, you know, there was always available. Maybe some of you had that sort of dad. Maybe some of you had a very strict dad, a dad who was a bit of a taskmaster. He knew what he wanted you to do and what he wanted you to be. And I meet people today and I go, what do you do? And they say, oh, I'm, a, I'm a doctor or I'm a this or a that. And they go but I really want to be something else. And you ask them, well, why did you do that career? And it's, well, because that's what my dad wanted me to do. And they're still like, even though some of them, their dads aren't alive, they're still trying to please their, this dad who was a strict taskmaster. Or maybe some of you had a dad who was impossible to please. However hard you tried, or whatever you did, it was never enough. I don't know what your experience is, I don't know what your picture is of father. But it's really important that we have the right picture when we come to God as our Father. Because if we have the wrong picture, we'll have the wrong view of God and the wrong relationship with God. And actually, we can end up creating an idol. You know, an idol is when we create something earthly in God's image. And actually, we can be in danger of doing that. So it's really important that when we hear this word Father, that when we relate to God as a Father, that we have a right view of what it looks like to have God as our Father, and what sort of Father that God is. So I want to attempt to explain to you a little bit of what God is like as a Father. But I don't want to give you my explanation. I want to give you Jesus' explanation. And Jesus told one incredible parable. Parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He told one incredible parable where he explained exactly what God is like as a father. And we know it as the parable of the prodigal son. But the reality is the parable is not really about the son, it's about the dad. And it's about the heart of the dad. So I'm going to read the parable. And then I've got about 18 points about the father. We're not going to get through all of those this morning, okay? And, uh, but I just want to bring the things that I, I sense as we go through that God wants to speak into us. And for some of us, God wants to affirm things in us in terms of our view of him. For some of you, God wants to challenge some stuff in you this morning. And God wants to change some stuff 
Because the most important thing we can have is a right view of God. Yeah, that's the most important thing that you can have in life. It's interesting when you read the prayers of Paul the Apostle, recorded in his letters. He never once prays for anyone's situation to change. You know, I love it that we've just changed, prayed for situations to change. We pray for miracles, we pray for healing, we pray for breakthrough. Paul never prays for that. Every time he prays in his letters, he prays that people would know God better. Because if you realize this, if you have a right view of God, then everything else is going to be in its right place. And I want to help you this morning have a right view of God as Father. So for some of you, this is going to be a, like a, an affirming thing. For some of you, this is going to be a resetting thing. And you're going to have, well, I had this view of Father, but actually, it looks like this. Amen? Yeah. Okay, so let me read this to you. This comes in Luke 15. And Jesus is actually speaking to the Pharisees, this group who were the religious group at the time. They were opposed to Jesus. And uh, they were very upset that Jesus was hanging out with all the wrong sorts of people. Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and the sinners and the prostitutes and the people that religious people shouldn't be around. And Jesus tells them three stories to explain to them why he's doing what he's doing. And there are three things, stories about lost things. There's a story about a lost coin. And there's a story about a lost sheep. And then there's a story about this story about a lost son. And it says this, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now in their culture, um, if they divided the inheritance, if there were two sons, the older son would get two-thirds and the younger son would get one-third. And this dad literally sells one-third of his estate to give the money to the younger son. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. If you were a Jew, that was a pretty low thing to have to do, to go and have to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked them, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed a fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. 
My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Father, I just pray that you would help me now to just get a true picture of you as Father. I pray that anything that I say that's not of you, Lord God, that wouldn't reflect who you are, that people would just forget it would be burnt up. But I pray that whatever I say that that really reflects you and speaks of who you are would be seared into our consciences, Lord God, that we would be changed, Lord God, that we might have a right understanding of you and your heart for us. Amen. Amen. So, I'm not going to get through all 18, but um, let me see how it goes. The first one is this, God is the Father who loves. I don't know what your experience of Father was, but I want you to know that God is a Father who loves and who loves with an incredible passion and longing and desire. Our culture is different to the culture that this story was told in. This was told in a Middle Eastern culture. Our culture is one that's driven by guilt. You don't do things because they're against the law. You know, you want to obey the law. That's the big thing in our Western culture is to keep the law. And if you don't keep the law, then you're made to feel guilty. Middle Eastern culture was different. It was a shame culture. It's a shame culture today. You're not worried about breaking the law. You're worried about bringing dishonor on yourself and your family. And that means that we don't always get all the nuances of this story. Because what's happening in this story is the the younger brother isn't guilty. He was quite entitled to ask for like his part of the inheritance. But in a shame culture, he brought massive shame on the family. By saying, I want my inheritance now, effectively what he was saying to his dad was, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Because that, then I would get my inheritance. Then all of this would be mine. And me saying, I want my inheritance now, is saying that I wish you were dead, dad. In a shame culture, that would bring massive shame. Shame not only on the father, but on the whole family. Got a girl in our church called Ida who's from Albania. And she grew up in an Albanian village setting. And Albania is uh, more of a Middle Eastern culture than our culture would be. She s- said to me that in her village, if somebody did this, probably the, the, the other people in the village, the other young men in the village, would take the brother out and kill him. And in fact, we'll see later, if the brother ever came back again, his life would be in danger. Now, we don't get that in our culture. Nobody's likely to die for doing something like this, but in that culture, in a shame culture, that's what's likely to happen. And as they heard this story, the expectation would be that the father, when the son comes and says, I want my inheritance, is going to go, no, because that's going to bring massive shame. The father's going to react with anger. He's going to react with punishment. He's going to want to get the son because the son has so dishonored him as a father. And yet the father loves the son. You need to get this this morning. God doesn't love you because of what you do. God's love for you is not dependent on your performance. God's love for you is not dependent on your behavior. God's love for you is dependent on his love for you. He just chooses to love you. And in fact, what we learn in the story is that both sons miss the father's love. One son misses the father's love by being very, very bad. 
He's really bad. He really blows it. And he totally misses the heart, father's heart and the father's love. But note this. The story doesn't finish when the son comes back home. We've probably all heard those evangelistic preachers. You know, and they get to the son comes home and there's the party. And that's where we stop the story. But Jesus doesn't end the story there. Jesus goes, oh, no, there was another brother. And the older brother misses the father's love as much as the younger brother has missed it. And you can miss God by being very, very bad, but you can also miss God by being very, very good. And by being very, very good, I mean that you think that you've earned your way to God. That's what the older brother thought. I've been good. I've been the good brother. I've been the obedient. I've just hung around. I came to church every Sunday. You know, I, read my, I did all the right stuff. Surely, Dad, you ought to love me. And you can miss the love of God as much by being very, very bad as you can by being very, very good. If in being good, you think you've earned God's love. If you think you've earned God's approval. If you think you've earned your way to God. No, we need to be people who understand that, hey, that doesn't get us to God. No, we're obedient to God because he loves us. We don't, we're not obedient in order to earn his love. Does that make sense? You see, one of those is religion. Religion that says, hey, do all the right things and God will like you. Christianity says God has already done all that's required for you to know God. Yeah, yeah? Yeah. Religion's about what you do. Christianity's about what God has done in sending his son to make a way for us to have a relationship with God. And the father loves not because of what the sons do. He just loves them because they're sons. Amen? And if you have any shred of doubt that God loves you, I want to just banish that away. Because when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes, what's his prayer? That they might have power together with all the saints to grasp how high and long and wide and deep is the love of God in Christ Jesus. That they would know that they're loved. And that would change everything for them. And if you go out of here with one message today, it's just that God the Father loves you. Hey, whether you've been leading a very bad life, or whether you've been leading a very good life and thinking you can make your way to God, or whether you've actually got grace and you've, you've managed to actually work out that you can't earn your way to God, that Jesus has done all that's required for you to be with God. God loves you. Amen? God loves you so much. John 3.16, God loves you so much that he would give the most precious thing he had, his one and only son, in order that you might have life. And John 10.10 tells us that life in all its abundance, life in all its glory, life in all its majesty, he gave his son that you might have life. He loves you. And I'm done there. He's a God who loves you. Yeah, yeah? And he wants you to know that. He wants you to know that you're not trying to earn your way to him. You're not trying to be good enough for him because if you try, you'll never be good enough. You'll miss him. No, you accept there's nothing that you can do. You have to accept his love as a gift. The Bible calls it grace. It's just given to you. You don't do anything to earn it or deserve it or be good enough for it. He just gives it to you. So I hope you grasp that if you grasp nothing else. 
this morning. Whatever needs resetting in your view of Father, God is a God who loves you. God is a God who longs for multiplication. I don't know if you've noticed, there's one father, but two sons. Yeah? God is into multiplication. I don't know if you've ever wondered, why, why did God make people? Like, why did he bother? You know, because we've only been in a lot of trouble to him ever since. And some people say, well, well, God needed us. You know, God was a bit lonely. God was a bit sad in heaven. God was not lonely or sad in heaven. Yeah? God was totally self-contained. You might go, he wasn't lonely. God already had a community. The Trinity is a community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit living together in perfect fellowship, enjoying one another, just enjoying hanging out with one another, spending time with one another. God didn't make us because he needed us. God made us because he wanted us. He saw that community and he wanted to extend that community. And God is a God of multiplication. And he longs for many sons and many daughters in his family. That's what he longs for. If you like the size that Flow Church is at the moment, and you go, I, I like being part of a church this size, well, get used to the fact that it's not always going to be this size. Why? Because God wants to bring more people into this community. There's a few people looking at me like, Simon, don't say that. God wants to multiply. And God's heart for his family was that these sons would, would both grow up knowing him. Two very different sons, two very different expectations, but that they would know him. And God's heart all the way through when God came to Adam and Eve, what did he tell them to do in the garden? Go forth and multiply. We know what that meant. Go and have lots of kids. Go and multiply and, and multiply and spread over the earth. What did God say to Noah when he came out of the ark? Go and multiply. What did God say to Abraham when Abraham was praying for one son? God says, your sons will be so numerous, they'll be like the stars in the sky, you won't be able to count them. Wow. Yeah. And God is a God who wants to bring many people into his kingdom. He longs for multiplication. Okay. I love this. God's, God's a father who empowers. I don't know if you had a dad who empowered you, who equipped you to do not the things that he wanted you to do, but the things that you wanted to do. And God is a God who in this story empowers the son. I want to be careful. You need to be careful sometimes what you pray for. Yeah? Because this son in the story prays that he would get a third of the inheritance. And he gets it. God won't always give you the stuff that's just good for you. Yeah? Is that a bit of a revelation? Sometimes we think, well, if God's answering my prayers, I must be in the middle of the will of God. No, no, sometimes God will just answer your prayers because you'll learn what those prayers lead you to. Does that make sense? Some people theologically processing that. I've like, does the father and the son in the story answer the son's request? Yes, he does. Is it what's best for the son? No. Why? Because the son's missed the heart of the father. The son's more interested in the stuff than he is in the father. Hey, we need to be people who are always more interested in the father than we are in the stuff. Yeah? When you become a follower of Jesus, a whole load of stuff comes with it. But let's never get our eyes fixed on the stuff. Let's have our eyes fixed on God. Yeah? But God is a God who wants to empower you. God is a God who wants to 
equip you. If God's put dreams in your heart, you need to test those dreams and see whether those are dreams that God has placed in you or whether they're just selfish dreams. Yeah? Are they dreams that are going to build the kingdom? Are they dreams that are going to expand God's sonship on the earth? If they are, then God wants to empower you into those dreams to give you all that you need to give those dreams a reality. I'm just seeing Mandy here. Mandy, it's great to see you. I hear you haven't been very well this week. I pray that you will be healed in the name of Jesus. But I just believe for you, God's put dreams in your heart. And uh, you need to know that God is a God who empowers those dreams. And uh, he wants to come to you, and they're good dreams. They're not dreams like the younger brother had. They're not negative dreams. They're not bad dreams. They're God-given dreams. And he wants to equip you and resource you to fulfill those dreams in your life. And it says, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, was it your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. And it was poured out on men and women, so you women can have visions and dreams as well. And God wants us to be a church of visionaries and dreamers. Yeah? And then he wants to come and empower those visions and dreams. That's the sort of father that God is. What about this one? God is a God who runs. In Middle Eastern culture, if you were a father, you were a respected figure in society. Part of that that meant that you walked everywhere very slowly. Now, I live in Bracknell, and Bracknell is well known for not being, you know, we're surrounded by Ascot and Wokingham and Windsor and all those sorts of places. Bracknell is like, but the Queen came to Bracknell recently. Yeah, yeah, she came and visited our new shopping centre. It was like, wow. This has never happened before. And uh, I, I wasn't there, but my wife was there, and she observed that when the Queen walked around Bracknell Town Centre, she walked very slowly. Now, it's partly because she's quite old. <laughs> but even when she was a youngster, if you see her doing like the state opening of Parliament, she just walks very slowly and very regally. You know, there'd be a shock if she got halfway through Westminster Chapel and she sort of picked up the robes and went sprinting down to the chair down the end. Or, you know, you imagine Kate at the wedding or, you know, Megan at the wedding had like, picked up the dress and run down the aisle. You know, there are things that you don't do. And one of the things in Middle Eastern cultures is if you were a father, you didn't run. You didn't run. You walked everywhere very slowly and very regally and in a very controlled way. But God is a father who runs. God is a father who runs to you. God is a father who, when he sees us, he runs to us. He doesn't hold back. He's not waiting to see, well, how are they coming today? You know, are they all sorted? No, he just runs to us. Have you been far from God? Maybe you've even been coming to church, but you know you've been away from God. You've, you've held God at a distance. Hey, you begin to move towards him. This son began to move towards God. You know what God will do? He will run towards you. Yeah, yeah? And when he runs towards it, I love the son's trying to get out all his excuses and all his, you know, forgive me, Father, and just make me a slave. And, and the father, what does he do? He just throws his arms around him. I love you. I want to throw a party for you. And the son's like, what's going on? Get him a robe. You know, he stinks of pigs. Get him a robe. Get him some shoes. Put a ring on his finger. Let's, my son's come home. That's how God feels about you. Even when you've been away from him, even when you've disobeyed him, even when you've squandered some of the stuff that he's given you. Maybe you feel like you're later in life and you've blown it and you've messed up and you know, God gave you a load of stuff but you went off and did a load of other stuff. 
You know, the moment you come back to God, he runs back to you. Yeah? And there's a lovely verse in the Old Testament that says that God will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And maybe there are some of you here this morning and you feel, I've just blown it. You know, I have so much potential and so much. No, God can restore those years to you. You know, the years that you have remaining can be the most fruitful years that you could ever imagine. He can come and do that in you. Amen? Amen? Is this okay? Yeah, yeah? How are we doing? Let me do a couple more. God is a God who protects. Now we sort of think, and we read this story, and we think, you know, this father was looking for his son every day. I have this vision that, you know, every time the father was outside, he was looking at the horizon. He looked at the point where his son had walked away, hoping that one day he was going to walk back again. And we have this impression that he runs to the son because he's just so excited to see him. You know, that's how it would work in our culture. It would be one of those, you know, so, you know in the movies, it would be like, you know, the slow down run and the embrace. And the commentators would suggest that was partly his heart, but mainly he ran to the son to protect him. Because if the rest of the village got to the son first, they would have killed him. Who's this son who brought shame? Think he's now coming back. You know, he went full of wealth. Maybe even if he come back, you know, having converted that wealth and he came back with you know, loads of stuff, but he's coming back with nothing other than a reminder of the shame that he brought on the family. And the commentators would say the reason he ran to the son was so that he got to the son first and that he could protect the son and that the shame that was on the son became his shame. That if the people were going to try and get to the son and attack him, they were going to have to attack the father first. And you may be in a place today that you're feeling shame. You may know that you've messed up. God wants to come and cover your shame. And how does he cover that shame? He covers it in Jesus. The Bible literally says that when you become a follower of Jesus, you're in Christ. If I could give you a picture. If you were like this piece of paper, and my Bible is Jesus, don't get all theological on me, okay? But if you're this piece of paper, and this is Jesus, when you become a Christian, you become in Christ. And when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And he covers all of your sin. He covers all of your shame. And when the Father runs to the Son, he comes and doesn't just greet him and welcome him. He comes and protects him. And he comes and covers him. And know that if you're in Christ, then it's all been dealt with. It's all been dealt with. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God the Father, through Jesus, has covered your shame. He's dealt with your sin. He has paid the price. He's done everything that was required for you to have a relationship with him. He comes and he hugs. And I just sense spiritually, God would just want to come and throw his arms around each one of us this morning. I'd say, it's great to have you home. It's great to have you home. And then let me finish with this one. There's so much more. I, I would encourage you this week, if you have space, to sit down and read 
the story. Sit down and for yourself unpack everything that you learn about Jesus, about God as Father through this story. Put yourself in the place of the younger son, put yourself in the place of the older son, and say, hey, what, what does the father's reaction to me in that place say about who God is as a father? Don't let your view of father be shaped. Some of the other things I've written, God the father restores, God the father listens, God the father pleads, God the father differentiates. He treats the two sons differently. Don't worry if God's treating somebody else differently to how he's treating you. That's God's problem. Just worry about how God is relating to you in your circumstance. But I want to finish with this one. And this, this, that God the Father parties. Yeah, yeah? I don't know if you ever have that view of heaven as being a bit stuffy. Anyone ever slightly concerned that an eternity is going to be quite dull? You know, I've never really been into heart playing. And, you know, sort of wearing white and floating around with little wings and whatever other view that we might have of heaven. The Bible actually says that Jesus didn't die so that we could go to heaven. If you read the end of the book of Revelation, the Bible says that Jesus died in order that heaven might come to earth. And if you read the end of Revelation, it's heaven comes down to earth and there's a new heaven and a new earth. And what happens in that space? God throws a party. The marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a big marriage. It's a big party. My wife went to an Albanian party again, Ida, who's in our church. She said it was like the biggest celebration she's ever... She said it was so loud you couldn't hear yourself think. Every 15 minutes, people went and put on another costume. It was just full of dancing. It was more food than the entire village could possibly eat. Everybody was in. It was just the most incredible thing to be in. That's what a, a Middle Eastern wedding banquet looked like. Wasn't everyone dressed in their suits, being slightly formal? You know, listening to the best man give a terrible speech and all that stuff that goes on at our weddings. It was a party. And God is the God who parties. The Bible says there's a party every time someone makes a commitment to follow Jesus. Yeah? We want to be part of that party, don't we? We want Flow to be a place that is causing multiple parties in heaven. They've only just cleared up from one. You know? They've only just got all the stuff away and they're going, oh, there's another one. Yeah, let's go again. Let's not have any stuffy, rigid views of God. Hey, God is above us. How's the Lord's Prayer going? Our Father who is in heaven. He's not our mate, yeah? He's not like, you know, he's God, yeah? But he's God the Father, yeah? Does that make sense? And he's the God who parties, yeah? So I want to encourage us. Let's have a right relationship with God. Let's connect to him as Father. Whatever out of that hit you when you go, hey, I, I'm going to reflect on that a bit more. Like, I've never seen the Father that way. Or I want to see more of the Father that way. And then I want to finally encourage you that, that we're called to be fathers to our world. So wacky thing said, you'll know Isaiah 9 verse 6 that comes in the Christmas story. For to us a child is born... We all know that? To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. We're all right up to this point, aren't we, with the description of Jesus? Now, from the next line, Everlasting Father. Well, this is talking about Jesus. 
can Jesus be the everlasting Father? It seems to be like someone's got their Trinitarian theology, Isaiah's got it all a bit mixed up here. But actually, in his worldly sense, Jesus was going to become a father to many. Yeah? And we can go out into our worlds with the heart and the attitude of a father. Yeah? And God calls us to represent him to the world. So we can go out and we can love the world. Yeah? We can, through the way that we live, we can demonstrate the love of God the Father to the world that we live in. Hey, we can be a force for multiplication. It's not about me. It's about who can be empowered through me. Hey, I want to be someone who covers other people's shame rather than exposing it. I want to be someone who runs to those who are showing even the slightest inclination of moving towards God. I want to be a father who parties. Yeah? And we can be God to the world that we live in. Amen? Father, we just stand before you in awe of you. Father, I pray that you would help us to throw off any earthly views we might have as you as Father. Some of us here have been Christians for decades, and we might have a a view of you as Father. I pray that whatever view it is, that it will be the view that you have as Father, and we would properly reflect you and your heart and, and how you see us. Father, I pray more than anything that we would grasp the depth of your love for us. Lord, that you don't love us because of what we do. We can be very, very good or we can be very, very bad and both ways we can miss you. Father, I pray that we would come to you with a right view of ourselves and a right view of you. And we would know that we're loved by you. That you so loved the world. You so loved me that you gave Jesus in order that I might have eternal life. Thank you that that's how much you love us. And I pray that we would have a right understanding and a right view of that love. I pray for anyone here who's walked in feeling shame and condemnation they would know that that's been covered by Jesus. That now, Father, when you see us, you see us in Jesus. And you've covered our shame, you've covered our guilt. And we can now just boldly approach you with confidence as our Father. And we can come to you and cry, Abba, Daddy, we come to be with you. And I pray that we would be a force for multiplication on this earth. I pray that through us, there will be many more sons and many more daughters. We thank you that that's your heart for our world. Our messed up, broken nation, the messed up, broken nations, that many would come to know you as Father. Many, that would be the word on their lips, that they would be able to call you Father as we call you Father. And I pray that you would make us part of that work of multiplication. And all the people said? Amen. Amen. Amen.